Welcome to the Truth Be Known podcast, bringing you the objective truth boldly, candidly, and without apology. Welcome to this week's episode. Welcome back to another episode of the Truth Be Known podcast. I'm Nathaniel Jolly. And I am Eki Tepsipornchai. We got a good episode today. We're going to finish up chapter 12 in Romans. So yeah. uh, a, a few people called a mistake I made in the description of our last two podcasts. Um, yeah. If you didn't know, we added a couple of chapters to the book of Ephesians. So I think I had a ch- six Ephesians to be exact at least. 12. Yeah. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 12. Sorry about that. Uh, Romans 12, Romans 12. So well, anyway, shout out to, um, to Squirrel for catching that. Yes. Yeah. Thanks for that. Um, so uh, just to kind of give a summary, we started chapter 12 um, a few weeks ago. Uh, last week, we did uh, the second kind of division of chapter 12, uh, verses 3 through 8. And uh, today, uh, we're going to finish that up, verses 9 through 21, really, is kind of one one sort of big section. Where obviously, we're not doing this Martin Lloyd-Jones style, or in our podcast, we would be in chapter 12 for like three years. Um, so we'd still but, be on uh, verse one. Yeah, we still be on verse one, like you know the 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 fourth or fifth word. Um, so, by the way, good plug. Uh, if you haven't read Martin Lloyd Jones' commentaries uh, on Romans, I mean they're really really good. Um, in, in fact, you can actually listen to his sermons. Uh, I think mljtrust.org or .com. Um, they're all free. He's a worthwhile preacher to listen to. Uh, and so he's a, yeah, he's a very rich thinker, thinks uh, deep uh, theologically. He'll go through a passage and, and he's looking at it from all kinds of different angles. And even <clears throat> even if um, you're not looking for that kind of um, preaching, per se, you're going to get some you're going to get a lot of nuggets out of it. Yeah, absolutely. He's definitely worth he's one of my favorites, really. Um, yeah. And so he he's worth listening to for sure. Well, let me read our passage, uh, and and then we'll just kind of um, get right to it. And uh, so we're in chapter 12, verse 9 to the end. Let me read that for us. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor, not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind towards one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him, and if he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not overcome, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. It's a huge passage we would never preach yeah. this much 
um, at one time. But uh, just kind of as a brief overview, we'll just start at the beginning and sort of go through that. But before we do that, do you want to just kind of give us like a, a couple minute recap uh, to maybe catch folks up who haven't heard the last two, um, just to sort of bring us to where we are, Eki? Yeah, th this chapter is where Paul begins his focus on application. The first 11 chapters, very much theological. The first eight chapters uh, focused on the gospel and, and life for the Christian in the spirit. And then verses 9, 10, 11 address the issue of Israel. And then we get to chapter 12, and the main commandment is found right there in verse 1. Present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And of course, verse 2 tells us how that is accomplished. Well, we are not to be conformed to this world, but we are to be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. So the Christian is meant to live a life that is pleasing to God. We are living our life as a living sacrifice to God, and that ha has to be undergirded by the renewal of the mind, which comes from the Word of God. And when you move beyond those first two verses, where does Paul address it first? He addresses it first, really within the context of the body of Christ and the spiritual gifts that we have and the call that we have to serve one another. And so the rest of this chapter is really going to follow that kind of theme where our walk in Christ is not individual. It's not for ourselves. It's not to make us feel good about uh, who we are and what we've done, but it, it's actually meant to serve one another. And so from verses three through eight, um, it really kind of progresses through this idea of making sure that you understand that you are members of one body in Christ. We've been given gifts by the Holy Spirit. Uh, I don't believe the Holy Spirit's mentioned here, but you'll find that in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, so you can just kind of put two and two together. But those gifts are meant for us to serve one another, to strengthen one another, and to make sure that we're helping to build up the body of Christ, just as we also see in the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 13 talks about how Christ gave to the church some as prophets, apostles, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the building up of the body of Christ. And everywhere you go where Paul talks about the importance of standing together in unity, uh, he always focuses upon the unity within the body. And so that's where we left off going to verse 8, and we'll find in verse 9, it really kind of continues with that theme of serving one another. Yeah, and maybe we just kind of do a bit of a running commentary on, on this, and and maybe tie it into uh, just some some practical application as as we go along. Um, I mean, these first couple. I mean, this is you know this is Paul just getting really practical, right? And I think as we read through the rest of it, and we kind of consider how it applies to our life, these are really easy passages. Uh, to, to bring application to, you know, verse nine, let love be without hypocrisy, abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. I mean, this is just common sense. Uh, I think, you know, Christianity, um, but let, let's just, I, I, I mean, I don't want to spend too much time on each of these passages because it, we definitely could, right. Yeah, uh, you you yeah. could just do whole <laughs> sermons on each of these things. Um, but, it, you know, abhor what is evil and cling to what is good. And, and I think, this is something that to to press in a little deeper than just the obvious surface application of that. I think this requires us really to be renewed and conformed to the word of God. If you go back to the beginning of the passage, right? We we have we obviously know some things that are good and good and and that are evil, right? I mean, the believer understands that murder is evil. The the believer understands that 
abortion is is evil. Um, and so we we value life because life is good and things like that. But I, I think when we kind of consider this, rather than just jump to all the application, I think what might be even more important is how do we come to be able to know what truly is evil in the more subtle things? Because I think it's often the subtle things that really trip us up. It's not the big things, right? You don't find Christians yeah, supporting right. mass murders um, and, and that kind of thing. But you do find that sometimes we get caught up in ideologies or movements. Um, I, I mean, just consider the, the, the whole uh, Black Lives Matter social justice stuff, right? Those are godless ideologies that crept into a large part of the church and largely because some well-intentioned believers just didn't really understand what was evil. Um, and, and so maybe just talk a little bit about how important that is. It's interesting to me that this is kind of the first thing in the last section here. Uh, maybe that's just an arbitrary thought, but um, but it is interesting how much deeper it is than just a surface level thing. Yeah, and I think to your point, uh, this ties back to verse 2, knowing what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And I think Paul, really for the rest of this chapter, and you can even argue into chapter 13, he really does um, help to apply the good and evil concept, going all the way to the end of this chapter when he says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And you're right, in this world, when we think about Satan, Satan operates often as an angel of light. He disguises himself as an angel of light, which means that he looks like one of us. We're not going to be able to be able to discern him just from his appearance, but by his words. And he knows scripture. He will often quote scripture, and we know from the Garden of Eden, um, his modus operandi from the very beginning has really been to question our understanding of what God really said, um, even going to the extent of calling God a liar. So when it says to abhor what is evil and cling to what is good, that's obvious in the more extreme cases. Uh, we understand that uh, we should not, we should not, for instance, um, applaud uh, the worship of Satan. For instance, you know, we're not going to become Satanists or, or start to call the Church of Satan, so to speak, as part of the body of Christ. I, I think everyone would understand that, but it's really the the, the shades. It's really where good theology starts to become compromised, even just a little bit. I've been teaching through church history. And when you think about some of the early councils, going back to the Council of Nicaea and, and on after that, you see that the first several councils, really, the attacks were against the nature of Jesus Christ himself. You know, you had areas that questioned whether Jesus Christ was truly deity, and then that started to extend to the Holy Spirit, whether the Holy Spirit was deity, then whether Jesus Christ was one person, two person, one nature, two natures, one will, two wills, uh, all of these for maybe the average layman who hasn't done a whole lot of reading into the scriptures, they might look at this and say, well, you know, that 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 sounds okay. That, that, that There doesn't seem, seem to be a, a major issue with, with um, this kind of thinking. But as church history has shown and what we see today, just a little bit of error on things that are majorly important can have disastrous consequences. And, and one of the, uh, another example I think of is, for instance, female pastors, right? So we got a lot of women out there who uh, are, are starting to preach to men, preach to a mixed audience. This is becoming uh, quite a controversial topic within the church when it really shouldn't be. And the SBC, when Beth Moore started to preach to a mixed audience, there was a really a lack of male voices. I'm not saying that there weren't any at all. There were some. 
but there were a, a lack of male voices, especially those seen as um, the big Eva kind of leaders who, who would not denounce this this kind of action. And when you look through church history, churches that follow that path, when they follow that path, I tell you, it's not going to be long before they forsake everything that's good. And so to abhor what is evil, yeah, in the obvious cases, I think everyone would agree with this, but it's really as we sharpen our minds with the scriptures, as we understand to a greater degree what the scriptures say and analyze everything in light of scripture, we need to abhor everything and anything that contradicts scripture, even in the slightest, and cling to what is good. And all that, once again, it bears repeating. You can't. I can't overstate this enough. You must be renewed in your mind. You you must be in the scriptures, meditating upon the scriptures, thinking upon the scriptures. Because what happens is that a lot of people, when they start to run away with some kind of idea that goes contrary to the scriptures, whether they're aware of it or not, they're going to run with the idea. And then oftentimes when you bring the scriptures to them, what a lot of them do, unfortunately, is they start to twist the scriptures in order to justify their thinking rather than going to the scriptures first and asking themselves, does this make sense? So, yeah, the evil and the good, we need to think in terms of the more subtle ways that Satan attacks, because, folks, that's where the attacks happen. That's where that's where a lot of the heresy happens. It's in the, it's in what appears to be a subtle difference that turns into it turns into something much larger in its consequences. Yeah, I, and I mean that's a really good point. And and to your point, I mean Jude makes this distinction, right? I mean Jude really brings this out. If you haven't read uh, the book of Jude lately, you know go do that. In fact, we did a couple episodes on the book of Jude being for today, but. Jude uh, verse four says, for certain persons have crept in unnoticed, yeah. unnoticed. Um, they they look like the body of Christ. They talk like we talk. They walk like we walk, um, you know, at least temporarily and, and, and given the outward appearance. And, you know, the devil never shows up at the doorstep with a, a pitchfork, you know, and, and, you know, brightly colored red, you know, the kind of cartoon s thing. No. Um, right. as you said, he comes as an angel of light. And so, yeah, so it is very important. It, you mentioned how important, uh, the being renewed in the mind is to, to being able to dis- discern. And that's what we're talking about, discerning what's good and what's evil. Yeah. Um, and there's been some questions that we've gotten about, uh, well, what exactly, how do I do that? The, the renewing of the mind and just to reiterate that we don't do that, um, what our role in the renewing of the mind is, is that we're diligent students of the word of God. And as we study and seek to obey the word of God, what then happens is the Holy Spirit is the one that uses that to yep. renew us. Um, and, and so that's kind of just how that works, right? It's a miraculous renewal. Um, it's not something we do on our own, though we play a part, right? If you're not studying your Bible, and, and I'm using the word study rather than read, uh, we certainly need to read the Bible, but we also need to be diligent students studying yeah. the Word of God, understanding the text. Um, there are, you know, get a good, um, oh goodness, the, the word slipped my mind, Bible with uh, like a good study Bible, right? So you can read some of the commentary, uh, some, you know, a study Bible that you can trust, um, and as you do those things and you seek to obey the word, right, um, then then the Holy Spirit, uh, God renews our minds in that 
process. So, so that's kind of how that works. But if you aren't doing that, you know, if you're not, a, if you're only coming to church on Sunday morning and or and or Wednesday night, and that's all the Bible you're getting, then you can be sure that these subtle deceptions are going to trip you up along the way because that's just not enough, right? That's that's basic, uh, minimal Christianity. Every Christian, there should never be a question about you know whether you're with the Lord's people on the Lord's day. That should never be a, a question. But if you're going to be growing in the faith and having your mind renewed, you've got to be in the Word far more than that. Yeah, let me let me add to that um, because I I think you you said something very important um, that the renewing of the mind is not something that we do; it is something that the Holy Spirit does. And and just to provide some further support to that, Romans twelve two says, "Be transformed by the renewing of your mind." And the word "transformed" in the Greek that's in the passive tense, uh, active and passive. Is we we don't tend to think of verbs this way. We were taught this in school, and then we've kind of um, let it slip our mind. But a, a verb that is active that is active means that the subject of that verb does the action. Um, a passive verb means that the subject of the verb is actually the recipient of the action. So something is doing that action to you. And to be transformed, this is in the passive tense, which means that you actually don't do the transforming. You instead you um, you are. You are to be obedient to God, and as you're obedient to God in the Scriptures, in the Spirit, um, you are allowing God to transform you, uh, and that is by the power of the Holy Spirit. And then further in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 22 to 24, this is the put off and put on verses. Verse 23 says that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that word renewed, once again, that is a passive verb, meaning that you are not the one that does the renewing, but you subject yourself to God, and God is the one that renews your mind. So this takes a very humble approach to the scriptures. This takes consistency and diligence, um, disciplined uh, approach to reading the scriptures, to be in prayer, seeking the the Lord, uh, the, the Lord's blessing and the the ministry of the Spirit to illuminate your heart and, and your mind to the truth of the scriptures. And if you are at a good Bible teaching church, I agree with what Nathaniel just said, you can't just go on a Sunday and a Wednesday and never open up your scriptures. In fact, if you hear a really good verse on a Sunday, go back and listen to it again. Go back and listen to it again. Um, flesh out your notes. Maybe you took some notes the first time around. Flesh out your notes and then start to really think about not only theologically what's being taught there, but then also how you might teach it to someone else. But also even more important than that is how you're going to apply it. Right. Once you know it, you need to figure out how to apply it. And that's all the work of the Spirit working through you. But of course, we have imperatives throughout the New Testament, which means that we are called to obey God. We are called to be in the Word. We're called to be in prayer. And as we are doing that, the Spirit will do His work within us, just as uh, Philippians 1.6 promises us that uh, that the work of God that started within us from the time that we were saved will continue all the way till the time we are brought into the presence of our Lord. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's move on to the next passage. We could talk about this for an entire episode. In fact, yeah. maybe we'll come back and pick up some of these things along the way uh, in, in later episodes. But verse 10, be devoted to one another in brotherly love, giving preference to one another in honor. I mean, this this is a big one today, I, I think. Um, it, it, it always is. But, you know, we often hear... Verses taken out of context, such as uh, whatever you do to the least of these, you know, you do unto me. Um, yeah. And and the way it's taken out of context is 
very few people uh, take the time to ask the question, well, just who is this category of people called the least of these? Those are believers, right? Those yeah. those aren't unbelievers. Um, th- th- that passage is specifically speaking about believers. And here we have Paul again talking about um, how we're to respond to one another. Not only are we to be devoted to one another, but in brotherly love. And so I, I think that part's important because you can devote yourself to someone with without a um, heart disposition of love. You can you can be devoted to someone out of duty, right? Um, where there's none of that. And so it, it the, the passage assumes a level of desire and 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 care from from the heart. I mean, we should look at brothers and sisters in the Lord differently than we look at people outside of the faith. We should treat them in, in a manner that's differently. Well, you know, that doesn't seem how, how is that so? Well, he tells us give we do that by giving preference to one another. Yeah. Um in in honor, which is a big deal. And I think I mean an instant application to this is are are we doing this as we um as we talk to one another on social media is kind of the first thing that pops into my mind. It's right. probably the least loving place um, I know of uh, yeah. in appearance, right? In appearance. And and I say that because I do understand that there's some dynamic of having characters limited and you, you don't get, um, it, it's hard to, to gauge tone and I'm not a big tone guy, but, um, but when you're just writing short sentences, Unless you're Chris Chris Honholz, who writes books um, on Twitter, or at least he used to. Good ones too. Good to ones too. Chris. So I mean, if you're he, he, you're talking about good content on Twitter, Chris Honholz. Okay, so let's yeah. get that Give out. Give him a yes. follow. Yes. Um, but but you know, but if you just take a cursory glance at Twitter, and this has been really interesting for me. Uh, I, I promise this is applicable. Um, you know, I I had planned on taking a little bit of a break uh, for a long time, and then I did that. And when I came back, um, and it was for no particular reason that I did that other than just I thought I need to take a, a short little break. Um, when I did that and I came back, I, I haven't really um, gotten back into, you know, uh, tweeting regularly, as it were. Um, I, I get on in the morning and then I've been getting on once or twice in the evening. Um, and, you know, and that's about it. And it's interesting because what I've noticed is that... Um, one, I feel like I have less drama in my head. So that's just interesting. Um, two uh, is from outward appearances, I often log on and I just think, man, if this is what unbelievers are seeing, a lot yeah. of a lot of it looks really nasty. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've been very convicted by that myself. Now, just in thinking, okay, you know, we need to be a little more, I need to be a little more intentional how I communicate things. And look, I think we, we call out false teachers. We call out threats to the church. Um, you know, and I, I don't, I don't, I don't think we need to play around with those things, but when we're engaging with people for all intents and purposes that we know to be brothers and sisters in Christ there, we should have this sense about our communication that this is a dear brother or sister. Um, and though I may disagree with them, right? I want to engage them in a way that is honorable. And that's, I mean, that's what Paul's commanding us here. We give preference to one another in honor. We 
are devoted to one another in brotherly love. So in, any thoughts on that? And then you can move us on. Yeah, no, uh, I, to I totally agree. I mean, yeah, we've got a, we've got brothers and sisters in Christ um, online and, and even more, um, I don't want to say it's more important, but I think even a higher priority than that is, is the brothers and sisters in Christ at your local church. You know, we can often make the mistake of thinking that Twitter is the church, and certainly we see um, the universal point. church out there point. with our brothers and sisters. But here, the most direct application that Paul is issuing to his readers is to one another within the church where you serve. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. And unfortunately, I think there are too many Christians who put on a good show online, and I, I don't have specific names. I just I just know the heart of man and, and how people can be. You know, we, we can put a good show online and, and say all the right things and then be disconnected from our local body of Christ. Or we can even spend more time on social media debating uh, people online rather than devoting ourselves to one another in brotherly love. And, and this this word brotherly love, this is where we get the this is where we get the city named Philadelphia. Um, this is loving one another. This is a special kind of love, treating them as family, giving preference to one another in honor. Um, so, so this talks about the mindset and the heart in which we go after and and seek to support them. And and of course, the next several verses here, verses eleven through thirteen, gives us so many examples of that. Not only giving a preference to one another in honor, not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. You know, I think of the book of Revelation and. It was the church at Ephesus where where Jesus said, look, you guys are great theologically, you discern false teachers, but you have lost your first love. And and how, how is it that you regain your first love? Well, I'm looking at these ver verses, and this is probably one of the first places I would go, you know, aside from just remembering the love of Christ, right? To remember how Christ loved you, cultivate that love you have for him. But the outpouring of it should be this that you're devoted to one another in brotherly love, you're giving preference to one another in honor, you're not lagging behind in diligence, you're fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. All of that is just an outpouring of what I think Jesus told his disciples in John chapter 13 when he said, they shall know you are my disciples by your love for one another. So certainly make sure that your walk on social media and in front of strangers would show the love of Christ. And of course, you know, there, there's a lot of people who hate God. So it doesn't matter what you say, what you do, they're, they're going to try to tear you down. Um, but make sure that whatever activities you have online uh, do not overshadow the activities that you are doing for the local body. Yeah. And I mean, let's just dig in that a little bit more because, uh, I mean, that's a really good point, Icky. Uh, um, being devoted to one another, you can't do that online, right? So th this passage, while there's application to how we interact with yeah. one another, um, and you know, my thought was just some of the very hateful rhetoric, uh, but between brothers uh, that we see. But this is in the context of the local church, right? There, there was no Twitter, there was no social media, um, and you can't really devote yourself to a person unless you are physically around them. Um, yeah. and, and so that that is really, really essential. And I think we need to be thinking that way. Um, and, and it's interesting. And so we kind of think about what does it look like to be devoted? And I, I sort of think, and we might, you and I, Eki, may, may have slightly different opinions on this. But, you know, I think in our current culture, the, the church needs a, a little more help thinking through application than maybe we did in the past when biblical literacy was much higher. Um, yeah. sort of uh, kind of in, a, I think we're sort of in an, a church era here now where, 
in our in our context where we need to help people kind of relearn how to apply these things. And and so I think one way for thinking about what does it look like to be devoted to someone in the local church, I, a question I would ask someone is, do you ever see anyone in your local in your local church outside of Sunday morning, Wednesday night? Mm-hmm. Um, th- that's really a good indication of devotion, right? If the answer is no, yeah. then maybe there's some work to do there, right? And it doesn't, you know, phone calls can't in the local church. Phone calls count. Um, a lot of churches have shut-ins. Are, are you calling and encouraging those people? Are you going by the CM occasionally? Do you have, you know, friends in the church that you spend time with uh, outside of Sunday morning, Wednesday night that you're just sharing life with? I mean, this is part of disciples walking together with. So that that kind of thing, I think, is where I would I, I would direct people to be considering whether or not they have devotion. Um, and do they have preference, right, to, to the body of Christ? And there's a million easy ways that that could be applied. Um, yeah, and, and the next passages, I mean, it's just really good to go through um, and think through every phrase here, right? Not yeah. lagging behind in diligence, um, being fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation. That's an interesting one because it assumes tribulation. Yeah. Right? right? Difficulties. So the kind of nonsensical idea that we're going to escape, you know, difficulties, that the world's not going to hate us, that things are just going to perpetually get better. We don't see that in this passage. In fact, we're cold, quite opposite. Um, expect tribulation. And in that, you were supposed to persevere. Um, devoted to prayer. You know, there was an older preacher who once said, um, uh, uh, about the church, if you if you want to see how popular a church is, go Sunday morning. Um, if you want to see how popular the preacher is, attend Sunday evening. If you want to see how popular God is, attend the prayer meeting, and mm. God loses every time. Uh, wow. And powerful, powerful quote, um, and a bit heavy, but if you talk about being devoted in prayer. It's one of the easiest things to do in the faith, and yet I think it's one of the hardest, right? Yeah. It's one of the simplest things, rather, maybe more accurately, um, but it's one of the more difficult things, and yet we're supposed to be known as being people of prayer. I, and I kind of think um, back to, uh, oh, goodness, I was going to say it, Daniel, right? Was it Daniel who prayed three yeah. times? Um, you know, you go back to Daniel and I think in recent years, people like to look at Daniel because he, you know, when he got the edict to only worship the king, he threw open his windows and he prayed, you know, in defiance in front of the king and all the people. Well, that's really not the point. What I find more interesting is that not that he did that, but that he did exactly what he'd always been doing because he was a man of prayer. He had always prayed that way, right? Um, and he just simply uh, disobeyed the edict. Um, and, and so to be people of prayer, it's not that we pray just when we need to, you know, defy ungodly edicts from whatever, or just when we have emergencies. I mean, I think we've all been guilty of that. Right. When life gets really hard, all of a sudden we start praying. And that's certainly okay. We can go to the Father in prayer. But 
are are we devoted to prayer right big thing i think there yeah and i look at all these actions and in prayer certainly a great example of that you know, we talked a moment ago about the passive and the active, you know, being conformed and being renewed. Those are passive verbs. The Lord does those things. These verbs here, I mean, from verse 10 to verse 13, I mean, these are active verbs. These are things that we do. And as I'm looking at this also, it is impossible to be legalistic and faithful to this at the same time. Because you look at certain parts of this, like fervent in spirit. Um, being devoted to one another in brotherly love, rejoicing in hope, um, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints. It would be impossible to treat Christianity as a checklist, legalistic kind of religion and to be able to be faithful to these things, because this is Paul calling for us to put our heart into it, you know, to, to truly love our brothers, to give preference for them, to be fervent in our spirit. And verse 12, rejoicing in hope, you know when that's important? I, I tell you, I do a lot of biblical counseling. We've talked about that before. It is so important to remind people that you are uh, counseling with, discipling, or edifying to, to just rejoice in hope. It's, it's amazing to me that when we have a thankful heart, when we have a joyful heart, a thankful and a joyful heart is not a bitter heart. And at the same time, a bitter heart is not one that rejoices and gives thanksgiving. And the rejoicing in hope, What where is our hope? Well, our hope is in not only what Christ has already done for us on the cross and what he promised to do from the resurrection, but our hope is in his return and all that's going to come in the future. And so the very next phrase, persevering in tribulation, very much tied together with the rejoicing and hope. You can persevere in tribulation when you're rejoicing in hope over what you know is going to happen in the future, that we have things given to us by God that can never be taken away. Ephesians says we've been given every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. But this is not just something for ourselves. All this is about how we are to build up and edify one another. So we are to rejoice in hope. And as we do so, we're helping to we're helping to remind others to rejoice in hope as well. When we're persevering in tribulation, we're encouraging others to do that as well. And to be devoted in prayer, you said it right. This, this is one of the most simple acts we can do. All it takes is for you to direct your attention to the Lord and just start speaking to him. And yet it's also the most difficult because in our flesh, we tend to treat everything else as being more urgent and more important uh, than prayer. And to come together for prayer, whether it's individually or whether it's uh, with others, to, to pray together, both of them are good. Um, certainly, it requires a heart that is really set upon the Lord and his plans and his purposes and our dependence upon him. And I will confess to you right now, as I say this, that I am guilty of not doing this nearly enough. So this is even a challenge to me as I say this. But yeah, these are all active verbs. These are all things that we are to do and, and not just kind of be robotic about it, but to be fervent, uh, to be rejoicing, to be persevering, to be devoted, to give preference, to contribute, uh, to, to be hospitable. All of those things are, are, are indicative of the fruit of the Spirit when we are truly allowing the Holy Spirit to renew our minds. Yeah, let me read this quote uh, by Charles Spurgeon on prayer. He says, true prayer is measured by weight not by length. A single groan before God may have more fullness of prayer in it than a fine oration of great length. Um, incredible. I, I think uh, Spurgeon has a book on prayer. I can't remember what the title is it uh, of it is, um, The Power of Prayer, or The Secrets of Prayer, or something like that. Um, incredible book. And Spurgeon was definitely uh, very rich in thought, in deep thought yes. in, in those yes. things. But 
You're absolutely right. Um, you know, continuing on, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. I mean, again, the, and, and I liked your... I liked your statement about how you can't actually be legalistic in these things. Um, and, and that's, I mean, that really, if you think about it, that's so true because these things listed here are not just actions. They require a desire before yeah. anyone would ever really be able to do these things. Um, it, you get some that maybe you could, but practicing hospitality, I mean, through hospitality, I mean, you can tell when someone is just serving you. Right. Because it's yeah. their job and they hate right. it. We've all been to right. restaurants like that. Right. Um, yeah, right. right. Clearly, the waitress or the waiter is not enjoying their job. They uh, care nothing about you. Uh, you're just ordering stuff and they're doing their duty. That's not hospitality. Right. It's right. quite different. Hospitality is, I, I don't know, there are a lot of ways I suppose you could describe it, but I would just describe it as a warm help, uh, a warm, heartfelt desire to serve right um and, and if if that's not there then it's you're really not practicing hospitality so it's just another thing that you you can't really do legalistically uh, i never really thought about about it that way um, you, you know and we see a great example of this every year when we go to the shepherds conference you know oh, a lot of absolutely. people from a distance um they will criticize john macarthur saying that he's cold he's arrogant he's this a legalistic, whatever verbs you or, or adjectives you can come up with. But I have seen so many people that when they come to the Shepherds Conference for the first time and they see 1,000 volunteers from the church taking time out of their own schedule to be able to serve at that conference and not just serve at that conference, but serve with joy, serve with, with joy and thanksgiving, just showing that brotherly love towards the pastors and the shepherds and, and all those who are showing up to the Shepherds Conference. And when people see that, I, I have I have seen and heard this on more than just one occasion, where someone will experience that and then be stunned and say, "Wow, the hard preaching of John MacArthur really does make a difference." That he's he's not cold and arrogant because if he's cold and arrogant, you're going to see that in the rest of the body of Christ. But that's not what they see. They they see a group of people that are sacrificing themselves in order to give thanks and to serve those who are in need of just spiritual refreshment and nourishment, which is often what people seek at the Shepherds Conference. And so that's just a very simple example of practic practic uh, practicing hospitality. My wife and I, we took a country, uh, we took a cross-country trip. We went all to the East Coast. Well, not completely onto the East Coast, but as far East as Tennessee and Stayed with a couple that um, was baptized at our church uh, a couple of years ago, and then after that went to Arkansas and stayed with someone else who was also baptized at our church and then married and sent out. And the, the way they loved on us was phenomenal. I mean, I I said to my wife afterwards, I said, you know what, they, they didn't just host us. I would have been thankful enough that they hosted us, but they actually loved on us. You know, and that's that's again, that's the practicing hospitality. And John talks about this too. I think in Second John, talking about to welcome those who are truly servants of the church, and and do not welcome those who are our enemies of the cross. Um, yeah. So so this is uh, you, you just can't do this without without a love of God and a love of your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Yeah, absolutely. And and again, the context of this is in the local church, and so. You know, we should be thinking, you know, am I am I contributing to the needs of the saints in my local church? Yeah. And this is I think one thing that kind of grieves me is government assistance and how often 
people in the church need government assistance, right? Um, because now we recognize, right? Some some churches are smaller and have less means. Other churches are larger and have other means. But it should be our desire to meet the needs of the faithful in the church before they ever have to go outside of the church, right? Mm-hmm. And that's not to bring condemnation on on anyone. Again, uh, not everyone has the the means to do that. Um, but you know, it, even in a church of you know twenty thirty people. If one person has needs, that's enough people to come around and 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 to help in significant ways, right? But those are the things we should just be thinking about, um, you, you know, rather than um, – I think it's great to give outside of the church. Um, it's kind of a pet peeve of mine when I see uh, churches supporting a whole lot of outside things when there are very clear needs of the people inside the yeah. church. That's the wrong way to do it. That's sort of like um, someone in your family, you know, one of your children, uh, their their jeans are all torn and they need new clothes and you're buying the neighbor's children clothes first. That That's backwards, right? Um, so we should be looking for those opportunities to contribute to the needs of the saints in the church, the, the faithful saints, right? Uh, the true saints um, practicing hospitality. You move on to verse 14. Now, this is this is a big one, I think. I, I think yeah. uh, our current culture um, really makes this one hard for us today. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Clearly, it can't mean that, Eki, um, because, <laughs> you know, uh, I, 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 why should I have to bless people who are after, you know, the church and after my yeah. faith and after my children? And, you know, how how could we, that really can't mean that. So. What does that verse mean? Yeah, you know, every once in a while, and and this happened recently as well, I I see people bringing up the imprecatory psalms, saying that we need to be praying the imprecatory psalms more often. In fact, I think there was that one singer um, who uh, a lot of people are talking about um, something, Oliver Anthony or Anthony Oliver. Um, Anyway, supposedly, I I think he read from one of the imprecatory psalms and he was applauded for that. And look, the the imprecatory psalms, those are the psalms uh, that where there's a pronouncement of curses upon those who curse God and curse God's people. And we certainly understand that that God will curse those who curse him and curse those who who curse uh, those who uh, curse his people. <clears throat> um, but just as this chapter ends, leave room for the, for the vengeance of God against those folks. And when people persecute us, our first desire for them shouldn't be God's righteous wrath. Our first desire for them needs to be their salvation, right? We need to desire that they be saved. Think about the Apostle Paul. And the Apostle Paul, obviously a very very easy example. Uh, he was there when the deacon Stephen was getting stoned to death at the end of Acts chapter 7, Acts chapter 8. He's the one that received permission from the Jewish leaders to go to Damascus and to find all those who follow Christ and to bind them and to bring them to, to the leaders. Uh, he would say later that he would breathe threats of murder upon them. So the, the Apostle Paul is exactly the kind of person that if you were to curse those who curse God and curse God's people, you would be cursing Paul. Hmm. But what happens instead, Paul gets saved and Paul ends up being a tremendous warrior of the faith and, and an amazing example for many of us. And so just as Paul would say that I I am all things to all people so that I may be able to win some over to the gospel of Christ, we want to first bless those who persecute us 
by one desiring their salvation. And how do we deserve? How how is it that we're going to help win them over if we're just cursing them? Right. That that just doesn't make sense. We we want to bless them. We want to we want them to know the gospel. We we want to help them to to see that our faithfulness to the Lord Jesus Christ is not going to cause us to resort to the kind of evil that they're resorting uh, against us in that way. And, and so bless those who persecute you. This goes back to Jesus' uh, commandment. Uh, you know, if um, if they slap you on one one side of the cheek, you turn the other. Let them slap the other. Uh, but really, we want to love our enemies, uh, because if all we do is love those who love us, then we're no different than unbelievers. You know, that the loving your neighbors as you love yourself, the way it makes you different is because you love the unlovable. You you love those who stand against you. So just remember what Paul told the folks in Ephesus, our battle is not flesh and blood, but it is against the spiritual realm. And so we have to understand that everyone's greatest issue is a spiritual nature, not of a physical nature. Yeah. And, it, you know, if you think about Jesus's response to the disciples uh, in Luke, right, um, you know, the people of the town were not receiving Christ. And, you know, two of the, it was two, two or three of the disciples were basically saying, do you want us to call down fire? And Jesus right, rebukes right. them. Right. Yeah. He rebukes them. And then there's a passage that's not found in the early uh, manuscripts, but but he does rebuke them. And that goes to show that their their heart and their mentality wasn't right in in that moment. And so I'm not saying that there's no place necessarily for imprecatory psalms, but that should uh, imprecatory uh, prayers, but that should not be where our hearts go to first, right? right. I, I mean, we should look at the world around us and understand that many of those who are persecuting us are in fact future brothers and sisters. Many of those who are uh, who who are doing these evil, wicked things are the very ones that Christ efficaciously died on the cross for, right. right? Just yet to be revealed. And so, if our if our mentality is to to curse those, then it just kind of you know across the board, then we could be very guilty of cursing the very ones who Christ died for. Right, yeah. uh, who efficaciously died for, um, who have just yet to be revealed as sons and daughters of of the kingdom of God, and so yeah, I I think we just got to be so careful of that. And I my concern here is that our culture really breeds sort of this kind of hate filled rhetoric and divisiveness. Um, look, truth is yeah. is divisive, right? Um, I have no problem with that, and no problem with preaching what the Bible says. Don't we don't dare change it. Um, and the the world will hate us for that, but um, the the kind of like aggressive, combative desire to fight and hurt people, and you know, without any concern for their soul, is just not the mentality that we see in scripture. And we can all get caught up in that, right? We can look at the evil that's just absolutely yeah, right. and utterly depraved. Um, right. I, I mean, just the most ungodly of things. Uh, you, you know, when when the government targets the, the children of, you know, of parents to do all kinds of wicked things and we know what's out there, right. um, mm -hmm. it can be hard to to desire their salvation. But but we must. And I think you go back to Ephesians and remember um, that we, too, were just like that. We were yeah. depraved. We were lost. We were following after the, the lust of our our flesh in the same way 
um, some of us to different degrees, but nonetheless, we were all there. And of course, uh, you know, Paul makes references to our past life multiple times, right? Such were some of you. And we so easily forget that. We kind of get arrogant in our salvation, right? Um, And forget that the reality is we are quite literally no better than the worst of the worst who never comes to Christ. The only difference is God's mercy on us in in salvation. And I think that mindset just kind of helps keep those things in the right perspective. Um, Yeah, I I, I totally agree. I totally agree. I I think... um, Again, this is, I think about Jesus' rebuke of the church in Ephesus in Revelation, you have lost your first love. And I think becoming prideful uh, in our salvation, becoming prideful in, in what we know from the scriptures, and uh, getting um, getting condescending towards those who do not know God, have not put their faith into God, or who mock God, you know, th- those are things that I think start to show that we have lost our first love, right? We We need to have a heart that desires their salvation, recognizing that, you know what, there's also evil in the world. We are called to defend those who cannot defend themselves. So when we talk about issues like abortion, when we talk about issues like uh, the transgenderism and and the uh, the, the the change, the the uh, the body-altering, body-mutilating changes that are happening to, to kids who are underage, you know, I have no problems uh, speaking up and, and standing in the way of that as much as I can and speaking out against those, those who push this kind of um, th- those kinds of ideologies and that kind of evil. So we, we can do that and still hope for everyone's salvation. Um, so this is, again, these are verses that, you know, we, we have to stop and really meditate upon and think upon. And th- though we say bless those who persecute you, we don't mean in terms of the government that we fall into line with everything that they say. I mean, that kind of right. goes into Romans chapter 13 and the role of government being being uh, one who rewards those who do good and and being, uh, you know, they bear the sword for those who do evil. They're supposed to punish those who do evil. And so when we, they fail to do that, you know, I believe we have a responsibility to stand up for what is good, even against um, even against the government. Um, so all of these things we have to we have to meditate upon all of them, and think about each situation that we're in, and what's the best way that we can glorify God and our Lord Jesus Christ in that situation. Yeah, and and these are these are like the, the disposition of a heart, right? Uh, yeah. And like you said, we can stand firmly against. Uh, transgenderism and the mutilation of children. Not only, not only can we, we should, right? I mean, you can demand right legal justice, you know, for these things while having a heart that grieves it's necessary. Um, You know, you can do all those things simultaneously. We can, we can fiercely uh, come against, you know, the mutilation of children, the attack of children. Um, and and do it in such a way that it still longs to see the salvation of of the yeah. very ones doing it. And right. so it, it's not a either or; it's a both and. And we just learn half. We just learn how we we do that well. And I think MacArthur is. Uh, we'll we'll kind of end here and do a part four. Um, Eki recommended, and and I, I think that's a, a good thing to do. Um, because when we're talking about this here. I think John MacArthur was such a great example of what we're talking about. How, how do you how do you fight against evil in a way that demonstrates you don't hate them, right? And yeah. if you haven't seen the Essential Church, go see it because mm-hmm. it's the perfect 
illustration. It, it's the perfect modern day example of this very thing, I think. Um, they they fought against the government because the government was overstepping their their boundary given by God and imposing onto the church restrictions that that God doesn't allow to be imposed on his church. And so they fought against it. They took legal action. Um, and yet they did it in a manner that was honorable. Um, and, and so they did both of those things simultaneously. And I, and I think, may, you know, no one's perfect, but I think, I mean, they did a spectacular job as role models to us yeah, in, in those instances. So yep. go see that movie and and be thinking of of this passage, right? And how we can oppose evil um, w- without uh, it coming from a place of hatred. Right, we hate evil, but we don't hate the people who need the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you hate them, then I can guarantee you aren't sharing the gospel with them. We don't want to be like Jonah. Jonah is not a great example of someone who loves the people he's taking message to. Right? Um, He in the end was obedient, but his heart was never right. That's not the kind of people we want to be. And of course, God dealt with that, right? Um, And and so I think this is a good place where thinking about this passage, uh, bless and and do not curse. Um, Why don't we just kind of end here on on the gospel? We we use that term a lot, um, and it's not always defined, although we define it in, in lots of episodes. But I think when we think of the fact that Christians are called to endure suffering, and to bless those who persecute us, I if we're going to do that, the, the gospel has to be very real to us and very near to us and something that's often going over our minds because it's hard, right? That's a hard thing to do. It's not easy um, to do what Christ did. It's not easy to do what Stephen did. How do you pray and ask God to forgive people who are stoning you? That's not a normal response, right? Um, and it's because he understood what the gospel was for him, for all of those who would believe and, and what it meant um, that he was able to then pray, you know, Lord, don't hold this against them. They don't know what they're doing. And of course, you know, Jesus does the same thing. So what is the gospel? What do we need to understand about the gospel that would help us to be able to bless those who persecute us. Well, I mean, who was a better example of this than Jesus Christ himself? You mentioned the deacon Stephen. The deacon Stephen was really just following in the example that he had in the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was persecuted to a degree that none of us has ever been persecuted. And it wasn't just the physical persecution, which was quite extreme, but it was also taking on the wrath of God upon his body, the wrath that we deserve for all of eternity. And that had to be done for a reason because all of us are sinners that's the book of romans establishes that very clearly from chapters one all the way to chapter three that none of us will stand justified before a holy god we are all sinners before god and because of our sin we are worthy of his righteous judgment upon us and there is no amount of works that we can do there's nothing we can do to outweigh that we can't simply just do more good than evil um, there is no indulgences that we can buy. We we can't do anything uh, on our own behalf because we are sinners, and that sin demands judgment. It demands punishment. And from an infinitely holy and perfect uh, God, uh, an infinite 
and and ju- righteous and holy judgment is required. And so when John 3.16 says, for God so loved the world, well, he loved the world in this way that he sent his only begotten son in order to not only live the perfect life that we have not lived and could not live, but also to offer himself as the perfect sacrifice in our place. So when we think about blessing those who persecute you, Jesus blessed those who persecuted him, and he blessed all those who have rebelled against a holy God. And so by blessing us, he gave us the ultimate blessing, which is the salvation, eternal life for those who believe in him, who repent and turn and follow him. It's not by our own works, um, but it's by the works that Jesus Christ did. And so what's required of those who do not know the Lord is to repent and to believe. And when Jesus Christ died on the cross, he was also raised up on the third day. And his resurrection is a promise to us that those who truly put their faith into the Lord Jesus Christ will also be raised up in glorified bodies and live in eternity with God in the eternal state. And so that's the ultimate blessing. And so that's why we bless those who persecute us, because Jesus blessed us who stood in opposition to God until that time that we uh, uh, graciously, by by the grace of God, were able to respond to the gospel. Amen. Well, guys, I hope that this episode has been helpful to you. We'll have a final in part four uh, of Romans chapter 12 uh, in, in the next week here. Uh, don't forget, we have a YouTube channel. Love for you to go to that. Truth be known, the information's in the show notes uh, and follow us there if you uh, prefer the, the video style. And if you're going to G3, make sure you come by our table. Uh, we have some exciting news uh, that we're going to be announcing at the G3 conference this year. So with all of that, let the truth be known. The Truth Be Known podcast is a theologically driven, gospel-centered program serving the body of Christ by bringing biblical truth to bear on issues facing the church today. Subscribe to the Truth Be Known podcast by using the podcast app on your Apple or Android device or listen online at strivingforeternity.org in the podcast section.